remain standing, please, and take your Bibles and turn to our 10 verses of Scripture tonight here. That's Psalm 95. Psalm 95 has 11 verses. We're going to read the first 10 responsively. The, the Pilgrim Psalm is Psalm 107. We preached from that on Wednesday night, or Sunday night, rather. And uh, that's 47 verses, I believe it is. And so uh, this was also one of the Pilgrim Psalms, but uh, Psalm 107 gets the designation as the Pilgrim Psalm. This is uh, maybe their favorite, second favorite psalm as well. And so we're going to read responsibly the first 10 verses of the 11 verses. And uh, you read the five even numbered verses with me, please. And then we'll, we'll, uh, we can be seated after that. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 10, and reading responsibly. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is great, is a, is a great God and a great king above all gods. His, in his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God. And we are his, the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Uh, tonight we want to rehearse the story of the pilgrims, and we could go to a verse in Hebrews. You need not turn there. I'll quote it for you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, speaks about and says these words, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The term pilgrim, for the record, for the, the pilgrims of, that we're going to be talking about tonight, really didn't evolve until almost 200 years after the pilgrims actually sailed. It's hard to believe that the pilgrims, just 398 years ago, two years from now, I got big plans already planned for the 400 year anniversary for the celebration of the pilgrims' journeys. Uh, if you Google and find out how many uh, descendants there are of those original pilgrims of the first Mayflower boat, it's estimated that there are over 35 million Americans that are related to those pilgrims that sailed on that first boat. And uh, just amazing, amazing thought when you consider that. This psalm, Psalm 95, we could take the whole message and t dissect this, why this psalm was so important to the, the pilgrims, because like the children of Israel, they could... They paralleled their life and their, 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 their leading of, by God's hand uh, through, uh, with, through this psalm. When they bowed at the, as your picture on your bulletin says, when they bowed at the, and knelt uh, not only in the ship, but then on the Plymouth Rock. I guess you don't have a picture of that, but they did that. They prayed. They opened their Bible. They, they, they uh, had psalms. When you go to the Capitol building, many I know you know have been to the Capitol building, one of the great beautiful murals of the eight murals in the uh, rotunda of the Capitol building is the, the pilgrims, of course. And three of the, the eight uh, 
or three of the six, excuse me, I think there's only six pictures. Three of the six are of prayer meetings of American, in American history. And so we asked the question this morning, this evening in the way of introduction here, why do we study the pilgrims? And it's almost a shame that we have to do it in church because once upon a time we used to do it in school, but no longer do I trust the schools to give a proper interpretation of what took place with the pilgrims. The answer, if we just have to make it succinct one answer, is why do we study the pilgrims tonight here at church? Is because American history is being rewritten and in many cases eradicated. We're seeing our statues being torn down, and I saw it was just down on 202 just this morning here. I headed to the hospital and I looked over and I saw the Christopher Columbus uh, monument that most people in America, or most people in Touring don't even know exists there, and we pass it like five times a day usually. Uh, right on the corner there at the bottom of Route 8, and soon they'll probably be taking that down. That's a sad thing, but there was a time in our nation, and history is being rewritten, and I just wanted to let you know that there was a time in our nation not too long ago. Young people, when I was in school, I heard these stories that I'm going to tell you tonight, and I heard them in public school as a little boy. But there was a day when the Bible was read in the public school and it wasn't considered an X-rated book in the public school as it is today. And Bible-believing Christians once upon a time were viewed with honor and, and, and uh, thanksgiving, but now they're viewed as religious zealots, right-wing extremists, and xenophobic many, in many cases. Christopher Columbus is, uh, was, a, uh, was a really a godly discoverer, and we're going to do away with Christopher Columbus Day, of course. We've already started to do it just in recent years. Uh, people we used to celebrate, kids used to have off that Monday off of school every year, all the way through, for many, many years, just the last two or three, four years, it's gone by the wayside. And uh, now we have to celebrate others, others uh, Indians and so forth, and, uh, uh, and the, the history is being rewritten, even with Pocahontas and so forth. Pocahontas became a Christian, was baptized in the Christian faith. But uh, our founders, the pilgrims, of course, these... Uh, the first founders that came to our country, they are the pillars and the founders of our great nation in so many ways. And, uh, but that, ways, that case is not the same, to, not, not for today any longer. America was founded as a Christian nation, and we, we go back to the pilgrims to justify that. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that to destroy a nation, you must first sever their roots. You must take away their history. And if you'll study any communist nation or any atheist nation, the first thing they do before to destroy the culture of that country is to destroy the history of that country, especially, and Satan is always out to destroy the history of a country whose nation, whose God is the Lord, because the Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And so why do we study the pilgrims? Well, because there are foundation stones of our, our Christian faith and our Christian country that God so greatly blessed. William Douglas, who was a Supreme Court Justice, died in 1980, I believe it was, and he served longer than any other Supreme Court Justice, uh, 37 years. And he was also, by the way, incidentally, at that time, one of the most liberal judges in American history. But William Douglas quoted, or wrote, rather, we are a religious people whose institutions presuppose the supreme being. Those that would tell us that America was not founded as a Christian nation are flatly either showing their complete gross ignorance or they're, they're willingly suppressing and hiding and lying about the truth. And uh, I'm afraid most, in most cases, uh, you tell a lie enough and people will believe it, of course, and we have many millions of Americans now, not just millennials, not just kids not being taught proper history, 
but even some 20-somethings and 30-somethings and even older that uh, have believed the lie that America was never a Christian nation. Well, we were a Christian nation. Governor John Winthrop, uh, he's the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, uh, he sailed on the Arbella with over 1,000 uh, Englanders on 11 different ships. They came in 1630 to follow, found the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Bay Colony. And he wrote these words, The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people. He will command a blessing on us in all our ways so that we shall see much more of his wisdom, power, goodness, and truth than we have formerly known. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us and ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies. The Lord will make our name a praise and a glory so that men shall say of exceeding plant, uh, succeeding plantations, the Lord make it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be like a city upon a hill. The eyes of all the people are, are, are on us. Again, I remember in elementary school learning about America being a shining city on a hill. Cotton Mather, the preacher of the Puritan preacher for many years from 1630 for about 1660 or so, preached many a message of a forethought idea that America later on adopted and knew about and that it was manifest destiny that God rules in affairs of men and God had a purpose for America to be a nation of destiny and a nation of greatness. And we were to be a city set on a hill. We were to be a Christian example, a Christian example of a, the grand experiment of a, of a Christian or rather a, a country that, whose nation, uh, whose people are of God. William Bradford, uh, on his graves, graveside obelisk in Plymouth, on, uh, in the cemetery there, some of you have been to it, I'm sure, and we've taken trips there, but we never got to see the graveside. But it's written in Latin, these words, what our fathers with so much difficulty attained, do not so basely relinquish. William Bradford was the governor of the Plymouth Colony from 1621 to 1657 for a period of 32 years, excepting five years in between. So the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If we don't know our past, we have no direction in regards to what our future should be. And the fact of the matter is, our nation was a Christian nation, but we've, we've forsaken our roots, we've forsaken our foundation. But these pilgrims, in 1620, as we're going to find out, they sailed, made that difficult voyage because they wanted to have a grand experiment. They wanted to worship God freely, and, and, and we'll see that here in a few moments here, of course. They wanted to worship God and show the world what a nation could be if they followed Christ and not followed a pope or not followed a, a church. What If we followed no king but Jesus, uh, what, what greatness could happen? And, of course, these are the forerunners. Why do we study the pilgrims? Well, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We need to know our history and know that history is his story, and the pilgrims realized that they were fulfilling, as God select, the, the, uh, they, the God had a role for them to fill, to uh, evangelize the world, of course, and they came to this new world to, to develop this city upon a hill, of course. Well, we just want to take a few minutes here tonight, here now, and ask the question, who were the pilgrims? Just a, a brief, the key word, I guess, would be brief, historical overview of who the pilgrims were. It's not on your, your worksheet, but let me just give you some dates here. In 1534 is a very important date because that's when King Henry VIII, who was the king of England, of course, 
um, broke away from the Catholic Church. It was over the issue, of course, he was married to Catherine of Aragon and he wanted to get a divorce from her and the Catholic Church would not allow the divorce. We understand that the Catholic Church ruled all of, all of Europe. And uh, of course, that island there of England, of course, of Great Britain, what we know of today is they were independent, of course, and they, they were, they were, but they were part of the Catholic monarchy there and there was no separation of church and state. There was a marriage between the two, of course. And so when Henry VIII could not get a divorce, of course, the Pope would not grant him a divorce. Henry said, well, I'll just fix that problem. I'll just start my own church. And so in 1534, he started the Anglican Church, the Church of England, as we know it, and, of course, a, a Protestant church. And we would go back and study in 1517, of course, that's when the 15, some 17 years earlier, the, the Protestant Reformation started. And so uh, Thomas Cramner, or Archbishop Cramner, of course, is the one that brokered the, the uh, and authored the Book of Prayers, of course, for the Protestant Anglican Church, of course. And you had to be a member of the state church on penalty uh, otherwise of either being at least jailed, if not jailed, and even put to death. And so and there were, besides the Baptists, there were handfuls of Baptists. Most of them, of course, were... Uh, we have historical account of many being, of course, uh, drowned, Felix Mons, and uh, being burned at the stake, of course. This is in England. And it's, of course, those that were beheaded for the faith, of course, of baptism. But there were two other groups that gave, and Protestant groups that gave the king fits, of course, and I'm referring to the Puritans. Those were the ones that wanted to stay in the Church of England and purify the Church of England. And uh, Martin Luther, by the way, just to go back and give you a little church history, Martin Luther never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. That didn't work out so well, of course. And so we had, we had the, the Reformation, the start of the Reformation, again, about 20 years there, about rough numbers. We have the Anglican Church started, the Church of England, and the Puritans, they were the right-wing faction, the, the fundamentalist faction of the Anglican Church, and they wanted to purify the church, and they were... They want to try to work within the realms of the, the state church. But then from, a, from them, there was a group of separatists. And those were Puritans to the right, or, or, or the right wing of the Puritan group. And they finally said, we cannot work with the, the king. And one of the phrases, of course, that early on be, be developed, that we have no king but Jesus. And, of course, that would factor in a couple hundred years later in our American Revolution. And they said, no, we don't honor the king and uh, as we fast forward to the time of J King James I, where we have our King James Bible, of course. But a little bit before that, we come just three names that you need to know of pilgrim history. The first would be Robert Brown. And Robert Brown, the, he was a separatist Puritan preacher, highly educated. And uh, as several of these men, John Robinson also was highly educated as well. And uh, in the Anglican Church in, the, 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 in, in Canterbury and they had uh, high degrees of education, but they broke from the Anglican Church, and they started this separatist movement. And uh, they were known as, uh, they got nicknamed by uh, those that derided them as Brownist. The, Christian, the name Christian is a, is a name of derision. The name Brownist was a name of derision. And they were hunted and hounded, and, and, uh, uh, but they were known as separatists, in other words, pilgrims. After Robert Brown came a fellow by the name of John Robinson. Of course, John Robinson w was trying to get to uh, America. He would not sail to America. Some of you know the story. I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, he's the separatist pastor of Scrooby, England. And later, upon the persecution that arose from King James I, 
He led the separatists to Leiden, Holland. There's separation, or rather, things were getting so bad in England that people were being killed for their faith. These separatists were being hunted and hounded. And, of course, Gutenberg had made the printing press a number of years before this. And uh, so the Puritans, the separatists, they got a hold of a printing press, a very primitive printing press, and they began to print gospel tracts and pamphlets. Uh, all this was illegal. And uh, printing pamphlets against the, 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 the vices and the wrong and the, myth, the, the doctrine of the, of the Anglican church. So John Robinson was the pastor of this fledgling church. They, flew, they fled from Scooby, England. They sailed across and they got a charter to, to uh, exist in much more liberal-minded Holland in Leiden, Holland from 1607. And of course, they're going to come, sail back in 1619 and then 1620. They'd come back across the, the channel there, of course, and they would come back to England. But uh, their lives were literally at risk. And that leads us to William Bradford, of course. William Bradford was born in 1590. Remember the, the, the Mayflower sails in 1620. Help me out. The Mayflower sailed in what year? 1620. Okay, that's a date everybody should know, just like you should know, 1776. 1620 is the year of the, the, uh, the, sail, the sailing of the Mayflower, of course. But William Bradford and John Carver would be the first governor of, for just a few months, actually, he would die in the first year at the, in, uh, in, in the new land, of course, in Plymouth. And William Bradford, as a young man, is just, just barely over 30 years of age, he would become the governor for some 32 of the next 37 years in, in Plymouth. Now, meanwhile, the year is 16. When, what year did the Mayflower sail again? The year is 16, 1620. We were just by several times last week. We were uh, in Williamstown in, in uh uh, Laura now lives, and our grandkids all live real close to Jamestown and, of course, Williamsburg now. And so we, we sailed. We saw the ships several times. We went across the ferry. Some of you know what I'm talking about, the James River Ferry, three-mile ferry. And the ships are right there, the replica ships that uh, the Jamestown colonists founded. And that was founded in 1607. Yeah, 1607. My wife knows that because we were just there, of course. But uh, 1607. There were several other English or European colonies that have been started. You've all heard of the Roanoke Colony, the Lost Colony, and so forth, the colonies that did not make it, but uh, received charters from uh, Spain or Portugal or, of course, in, for England. And, uh, but all of those colonies, almost all of those colonies, you could boil it down to one reason why they came to the new land. If you had one word to summarize why they came to the new land or this new continent, this new, new country that we know of today as America, if you only get one word, they came for gold. They came for gold. They came for riches. But the Puritans, they came for God. They had a completely different reason why they came. And if we were to study Psalm 95, you would see that again in more detail. So let's fast forward, if we could, to 1620 now, the summer of 1620. It's August, and the Mayflower voyage is uh, about to commence. And many of you know that there were originally two ships that were going to sail, uh, to the new land. Of course, the first one we all know is the Mayflower, but the second one, much smaller ship, the Mayflower is about 110 feet long, and the, uh, the speedwell was one-third the size. So it was just the speedwell was smaller than this. Uh, this uh, it's 55 feet from the front here to the back wall there. So the speedwell was about 10 feet or so shorter than what we're looking at. So just back, back to where Jaden's sitting, just a very small, small yacht of sorts. And so they sailed on August 15th, 
in the Julian calendar, that is. I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, but they sailed on August 15th, but the Speedwell immediately began to take on water. And so they, had, they were filled with um, uh, two and a half times the amount of pilgrims that they had in the, uh, from this church. And uh, late in Holland, and now they had come back to, to England, and these separatists, as they were called, or we know them again as pilgrims, they, they had to turn back and they had to make a cruel decision. And of course, now the fall is coming and the weather gets rough in the fall and you don't make across-the-sea voyages and the treacherous waters and so forth. And, and uh, the good time to sail would be springtime, of course, and get to a new land and be able to plant, still have time to plant some gardens and so forth. But um, they almost had to abandon the ship, but they decided to to pare down, and they did a lottery system as such. Some people just bowed out graciously, graciously but a number of uh, pilgrims, uh, separatists, decided to go forward with one boat, and of course that boat, of course, would be the Mayflower. And so they would sail December or September 6th. Now, just for the record, the, there was two calendars, competing calendars going on at this time. This is why the dates are conflicting, because we had a Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar, which we now follow today. And so when Bradford gives his history of Plymouth Plantation, uh, we have different dates than the actual date of the Gregorian calendar. So that's why you see on the September 6th to November 11th, uh, we really believe that the date that they really landed after that 66-day voyage was, uh, was November 21st. Now, by the way, I told a couple people already, just for the record, I'm making plans for, for 2020 in 2021, 2020 would be obviously the 400-year anniversary of the Mayflower Crossing. That would be a big event, and so we're going to, I've already got some things in my head. It's two years off, so I'll, I'll wait and tell you about that later here, but we'll have a much bigger event for Thanksgiving than, than uh, what we normally do in these previous years here, of course. But uh, So they made this journey. The crew was about 30, some the numbers fluctuate all, all the way up to nobody knows exactly how many of the crew members were. Some say it could have been upwards to 40. Some of the names have never been accounted for. But we know the shipmaster, or we would say the sea captain, of the, the owner of the uh, Mayflower was Christopher Jones. Of course, they brought the, the pilgrims hired a, they wanted some uh, soldiers, and they hired a handful of soldiers and one military captain by the name of Miles Standish. And um, so we had about 30 or so crew members, and then 102, some Books say 103, and I th there's a reason for that, again. But the passengers were 74 men and 28 women. Now, the passengers were made up of... Now, this wasn't a passenger ship, for the record. This was, and some of you have been on board, the, 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 the replica, of course, of the Mayflower there in Provincetown. I think, they're not Provincetown, uh, Plymouth, rather. You've been there, and you've seen how tight that is. It was a cargo ship, and it had three floors, three decks, and the pilgrims were stuck on the, the lowest deck was, of course, the storage uh, areas. And uh, the, the second deck was where the, the pilgrims were. And, of course, the ceiling was about five and a half feet high. So if you were any taller than five and a half feet, you had to duck wherever you went, not counting the beams and so forth. And, and uh, you had to be crouched over the whole time. And most of the time, the passengers were in that, that, that second floor hold, many times not allowed to go up on deck, only on the first first nice days, but there were two groups of passengers on the ship, and this is where uh, many people are confused. Not all the 102 were, were separatists, were Christians, in other words, or as they know, they called themselves later on saints, and they had two destinations, in fact, of people on the, of the passengers. You had the saints, and you had the strangers, 
I'm hopefully talking to the saints of God tonight, and all God's people said, <laughs> you know Jesus as your Savior. And if, you're, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're a stranger to the commonwealth of Israel. And so this, the, the, they, they are strangers to the faith. And uh, the pilgrims and, and uh, strangers, uh, 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 Hebrews chapter 11 again. But So the first group were the separatists, about 43 of them to be exact. And then we don't have time to go through the list. Now we have the list of all of these, uh, all these, uh, the, the, the passenger list is, uh, is, is, is still intact today, of course. But just some notable separatists, of course, or saints, as they were called, would be, number one would be John Carver, not in any particular order, but these are the first, maybe three most famous sailors of the pilgrims. John Carver, of course, he's going to write the compact that we're going to look at in just a moment. And then, then there was William Brewster, and uh, he became the senior elder of Plymouth, lived for many years in Plymouth, and he was uh, just a godly man. He would be the preacher uh, during the time of uh, the first years of the colonists. And then there was James Chilton. We highlight him because he was the oldest Mayflower passenger, and he only lived a few days after the landing of uh, the, 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 uh, the ship in uh, December 18th of 1620, and so just a uh, the ship landed in November 11th on the Julian calendar. And so you had the, these separatists or these saints, these Christians. And then you had the strangers or non-separatists. Most notable would be Stephen Hopkins. Of course, his father, he was the father of Oceanus Hopkins, who was born on the, on the voyage. And so he's only, there was a baby boy born, and they named him Oceanus, of course. He was the son of... Uh, Stephen Hopkins. And then there was John Alden. John Alden was a crew member. He was a, uh, we would know him today as an unbeliever. He was assistant to uh, Captain uh, Jones, and uh, he was the head of all the, uh, the, the storage and so forth, so the fresh water and the, the food and the, the barrels, the bins, so the, the food and then out in the cargo hold. But he was won over by the pilgrims, and it was a young lady that probably won his heart over and uh, he ended up staying after in the, the year 1621. He stayed with the pilgrims in the spring of 1621. Of course, the, the, the Mayflower sailed back with Captain Jones and uh, uh, most all of his sailors, of course. But John uh, Alden uh, stayed behind, of course, and lived, and lived out his life in the Plymouth uh, uh, colony, of course. Going back to the voyage itself for just a moment, and we'll just have to hurry along here. The voyage itself was very treacherous. Midway through, there was a great storm, and, and the center mast uh, gave way and broke, and uh, there was water that was coming through the, the hold, of the, and they were in a ter terrific storm, and there was no way to really repair this, this breach in the ship. Well, it just so happened, as luck would have it, as coincidence would have it, the pilgrims brought a very unusual piece of machinery along with them. They brought their own printing press. They had a corkscrew, this iron screw that the, the press screws that, the, that, that they used, and they were able to implement this press and um, shore up the beams and uh, stop the water leakage. They would probably drown in that storm had it not been for that printing press that they used to print pamphlets and little portions of John's and John and Romans. And so God saved them in two different ways. Uh, they had the printed Word of God. They had printed tracts. And then they were able to literally use that press to save the ship as well. An amazing story. There's another quick story that I'd like to tell you about that's not in our worksheet, of course, but 
there was a, one of the sailors, of course, these were rough men usually, and uh, they would taunt the, the, the passengers, and if the ship was going down, the first people off were not the, the passengers, the first people off were the sailors, of course, and uh, the, every man for themselves type of thing, and they would even lock, there's been known in, throughout history that passengers, even in the Titanic, it's just a little history trivia, uh, cabins were closed off and lower, lower uh, floors were closed off and if you were, you know, you, you were out of luck, you were going down with the ship. But the, the sea, the, the soldiers uh, or the sailors, they got first dibs to get out. There was one story of a particular sailor that was mocking the, the uh, and, and taunting the, the Christian pilgrims of saints as, as uh, calling them all kinds of names and saying, I wish to, dear God was just going to kill you. Because just a couple days later, he took a quick, took a turn for the, uh, had a fever on board, and within about three or four days of uh, his fever, he died on the ship, and they had to throw his body overboard. And the, the pilgrims saw, said that, saw, saw that as a sign from God, that God was on their side. They, so they had one that, that, that died. There was only one fatality on the journey over. But four people died on the Mayflower, uh, and during the, the during the, after the landing, they actually died on the ship, and then they were too sick to come aboard the ship. The most notable would be Elizabeth Bradford, the young wife of of uh, Governor Brad, who, who would soon be uh, William Bradford or Governor Bradford. And we don't really know how she died. Some things she, she out of despair she threw herself overboard, but they she she, she drowned, of course. And uh, it's a terrible event. But they 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 made it to shore. And it was they 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 you have a picture on the bulletin there of a of a, of a, no doubt of many prayer meetings and the daily meetings with Elder Brewster where they would pray and give God thanks and so forth. Have to fast forward the story here and talk about the the signing of the Mayflower Compact. Uh, for the record, the the Mayflower was wildly off course. They were supposed to be part of the Northern Virginia colony. They were supposed to land somewhere around the mouth of the Hudson River, of course, and sell that area of land, but they were off by a couple hundred miles, of course, and they landed, as we know of today, as, of course, Cape Cod. When they got there, they realized that there was all kinds of political strife and realized that their charter had been broken, that they were settling in a place that they were not allowed even to settle in, and a place they didn't know anything about, but winter was sending in, it was November, and it was already going to be, it was cold, and it was going to be a terrible cold winter that winter, as it, as it would turn out. And they realized that they were never going to survive, and they had to make, if they didn't all work together. I like that little phrase they use many times, teamwork makes a dream work. And they realized that they were in this together, both saints and strangers, or both Christians and, and, and uh, non-Christians. And so they... John Carver wrote up, drafted up the document that we know of as the Mayflower Compact. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all, but I just want you to glance at it. It says, in the name of God, amen. This is a precursor, by the way, for our Constitution of our United States and, of course, for our Bill of Rights or for our Declaration of Independence and all the major documents, including the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut in 1634. All these documents were, pre, this was the precursor, this was the the grandfather of all of our uh, contracts of our of our American history, and so so it says in the name of God, Amen. That says it all. If you skip down after the, 
uh, uh, homage to the sovereign Lord King James, the king. They, they honored the king, uh, even though they didn't agree with him, even though he would have had him killed or he had opportunity to. It says, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. You see, we have secularists that want to tell us that the pilgrims came for greed and for to take away people's uh, take away the Indians' rights and so forth. None of that, none of that could be just as true. They came for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith. Uh, later on, it says this: Do the do by these presence solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another. Very key phrase here. Maybe you want to underline it in your worksheet. In the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic. Now that word that doesn't mean much to us, but it goes on to say for our better ordering and preservation, and for the furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And they 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 covenanted, and I've talked a lot about covenant and about making promises. And these were covenant-keeping people, contract, compact-keeping people. And they said, we've got to agree. We put our name. Our name on a piece of paper signifies that we mean this as an oath, even unto death, if we violate this. We will, we will work together. And so these 46 men in all, 41 signers, excuse me, of the, uh, both strangers and saints signed this document. And they began this colony that lasted for some Really, serves sort of all, all the way up through uh, the 1700s, of course, and uh, for about 80 years up to Prince uh, Philip's War, and we don't have time to even go into that. But look at the first year here. Let's make some summary statements real quickly here and uh, finish things up here in the next few minutes here. But the first year and the first Thanksgiving of uh, the pilgrims, first of all, back to the, the voyage itself in the first winter, there were 47 deaths that first winter. 47 of 102, think about that. Uh, in fact, there were six in December, six deaths in December, eight in January, nearly two, in a, 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 two a day in February. One day there were six deaths in one day. Uh, 47 in all died. Though the, the mothers that were on the ship, uh, and of course there was 20, 74 uh, men and 28 uh, ladies, uh, some were not mothers, of course. Some were just children, little girls, and uh, teenage girls. Thirteen and eighteen mothers died, many of them protecting their children that first winter. And yet they thanked God. And then we go on to the spring of uh, 1621 in an amazing story, but Samoset comes walking into the village there. He's an Indian from the Sagamore tribe and from the... Uh, uh, from the tribes up in uh, Maine. An amazing story how he'd been captured by seamen and he'd been taken to Spain and then to Portugal and then it was released and got, or got to, was bought and came to know English, came to England and sailed back to America. And God, all in his providence, did that. And Samoset walks in uh, to Plymouth in March of 16, uh, March 16th, 1621, and uh, speaks in English that the colonists were amazed. Six days later or so, he brings another Indian with him that also speaks English. and His name is Squanto, and uh, he's the last member of the Pawtucket tribe, of course, and, and uh, his original tribe was wiped out, and I wish we had time to go into that, but I'm uh, another day, another time, but study that. I mean, don't, don't study the new history that America, or rather the white men, killed all the Indians, which, by the way, that could have possibly happened by accident, 
by disease, supposedly. Somehow that, that took place. But God, you see, you can't say this. It's not politically correct. It's just correct. I think God, after hundreds of years of Indians ruling and, uh, and killing one another in, in uh, uh, different tribes, hating and despising one another in factions and wars. You see, these tribes down here in New England were f- fearful of the, the Mohawks up in northern Massachusetts and New, New York State, upper New York. They were much more vicious. These were peaceful Indians. But the, their tribe the, got wiped out before the pilgrims ever landed, I think, in order to give the pilgrims a footing and a standing. And they had peace with the Indians for, for some 70 years, by the way, until, again, Prince Philip swore. And, and, uh, and so Samoset and Squanto, they, were, they made coalition with the chief of the Wampanoag tribe. Of course, that was Massasoit. And on that fall, of course, Sam said, going back to him for just a moment, he teaches the pilgrims how to, how to farm, how to, how to fertilize with fish and so forth. Many of you heard the stories, and uh, the Indians were the saviors of the pilgrims. There's some truth, again, in that, in the fact that God allowed that, that, this, this Indian to come along, this, this, this uh, tribal Native, Native American, to use politically correct terms, to come along to help the the, the colonists, but they had a peace accord that lasted for many, many years again. And the first Thanksgiving, for the record, took place in autumn, of course, we know of as November. It was a three-day feast, and it's not in your bulletin, of course, but Massasoit came with 90 of his Indians. They killed five deer, deer and uh, the colonists, that is, and the Indians, of course, and they had lobster, and they had, they had uh, turkey, of course, wild turkey, and fish, and duck, and goose, and and um, cornbread and uh, um, beautiful harvest corn, of course. And uh, they, they had a three-day feast of fun and games. And uh, they, they, they read the Bible, by the way. They read from the Geneva Bible. They, were, they, didn't, they didn't have the King James Bible. They had the Geneva Bible. That's another day, another time, another story, of course. And, and very similar to the King James Bible, of course. And uh, they, they sang and they gave praises to God, of course, there was a language barrier with some of the Indians, of course, and only a handful of them could speak some English, of course, Squanto and Samoset. But it wasn't until 1863 that uh, the official, you say, when did Thanksgiving begin? Thanksgiving really began with the pilgrims in 1621. Of course it did. But it became a national holiday in 1863, right during the middle of the, the uh, Civil War, of course, in our country, where... President Lincoln designated the fourth Sunday of, uh, or last Sunday rather, of, of November to be a day of thanksgiving and praise and uh, to God. And so we have so much to be thankful for, but uh, we've gathered together tonight. This is a tradition and in many countries around the world. Of the, I forget how many different countries there are all around the world, so 179 or maybe 196 or whatever the number is. How many countries have thanksgiving today? Well, I think there's Canada. And there's America, and uh, some other countries may have a semblance of the, a day of Thanksgiving and so forth. But, but who do they give thanks to? We give thanks to the God of heaven. We will enter his gates of Thanksgiving into his courts of praise. At the very end of your worksheet, you that I want you to ponder, and if you maybe write down, if you have a pen, if you want to challenge yourself to really follow through with this here. The Mayflower Compact was not just a document, but it was a, it was a covenant charter where people literally sacrificed their, their lives and their sacred honor, just like the Declaration of Independence. They said, we will abide by this. 
And if we do this, it will be for the furtherance of the gospel. It will be for the furtherance of, uh, uh, of the, the kingdom and glory of God. And a great nation will be, will, be, uh, will be birthed. I mean, here were these pilgrims, 102 of them. Think of it. The first winter, 47 die. Half of them die. And they still thank God. And they go on. And today, estimated numbers of 35 million Americans are related to these founding uh, pilgrim founders of our country. Could they ever envision the nation uh, city sit upon a hill that would be shine for uh, its envy of the world? People all over the world are doing everything they can to come to America. We don't have any we, uh, bars on our. Uh, we people are just flooding in, and there are many countries where we'd like to give people away, but nobody wants to go to those countries because this is a country that everybody in the world envies, including those people that hate us. But I ask you the question tonight here. I want to challenge you with this. What compacts or covenants have I made or need to make in my life? I don't want to get heavy on a night of Thanksgiving here, but how about make a covenant to stay with your spouse? And all God's people said. How about a covenant to stay with your family? How about a covenant, a compact to stay with your church? How about a covenant to stay faithful to the Lord, do you see? Those are all covenants and compacts that you can swear with, with your life and you're with an oath to God Almighty. God, I'll never leave. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And this is the opportunity to make a covenant in your life. You know, things go better when you make promises to God. When God makes promises to us, we're, we're assured of his blessings. Then, then lastly, tonight here, I ask you the question, what am I thankful for? I mean, folks, we could be living here tonight in Venezuela Maybe we would be from Honduras or uh, uh, Yemen or Iraq or Iran or China or I could just go through and just name 50 different countries. But God's placed us here in America. You say, well, that's not right to be proud. It's all right to be proud if, you, if there's a good pride, pride and a, a pride that you give God the glory for because it's all by his grace. You ever wonder, why me, Lord? I said many times, uh, 10,000 times, I said, Lord, why me? Why did you reach out and save me? Lord, why did you let me live in this great country? Oh, God, you're so good. And we, we, we should sing the song, God is so good. But we're going to sing uh, just one verse of, uh, what, what do we have there? 45. Uh, the, the pilgrims, and we end with where we started with in Hebrews 11, 13. They said they confessed they were pilgrims and strangers and pilgrims upon the earth. This world is not our home, we're just passing through.